Hi, this is Doug Draper. Thanks for joining us today on Uptime Logistics. It's powered by Cap Logistics. And again, I'm your host, Doug Draper with the Denver Transportation Club. Today's discussion is going to be awesome. It's incredibly timely and we're excited to have an amazing speaker who I would also like to call a friend. Uh, we've had him on many times in different forms and fashions. It's Stefan Lassard. He's the Consul General uh, from Canada here with us today. And he's actually joining us from Canada itself. So, uh, Stefan, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure, Doug. Thank you. Great. Yeah. So the conversation today is, uh, is related to the J July 1st date and when the USMCA actually takes effect. So uh, today's conversation is really about what does that mean? What does it mean for business? What does it mean for individuals? What does it mean for companies? So uh, before we get into it, um, I wanted to ask uh, Stefan just to kind of recap a little bit about what he does and, uh, and the, the role of the consulate uh, here in Denver. And uh, we'll just start. We'll start from the start. So, Stefan, give us a little background, if you don't mind. Of course. Well, thank you, Doug, for the invitation. I'm so grateful to have uh, this, this opportunity to rejoin uh, the program to speak to uh, your, um, your listeners. Um, so, for the last four years, I've had the tremendous honor of being Consul General of Canada to Colorado and other states in the region. Um, the Consul General is essentially like a mini ambassador. You know, we have... Uh, we have the big shot, if you will, the, the ambassador of Canada to the U.S., uh, Kirsten Hillman. She's in Washington, D.C. at the embassy, and she leads all aspects of everything that we do in the United States. But, you know, your country is big and it's wide and it's, it's uh, populated with uh, uh, tremendous, uh, tremendous vitality everywhere in the regions. So what we do is... Uh, we have offices like uh, the one that Canada has in Denver, and that's how we uh, represent Canada in the region. So we work with the ambassador and her staff, um, but we we are a little bit more connected to what's going on in the ground in the various regions. So in our case in Colorado, we um, have uh, different programs. We have a team that does trade and investment, so promoting American investment into Canada, but also uh, Canadian exports into Colorado and the region. And sometimes we help uh, Colorado uh, businesses looking to uh, get started in Canada. We, we can provide some, some information. We have a political affairs, public affairs program. Uh, we have a consular program where we uh, help Canadians who run into some difficulties when they're traveling or otherwise living in the region. And we have also an administrative services uh, team that helps us uh, do what we do. So essentially, uh, that's what we do. And the territory that I uh, am active in is Colorado, Montana, Utah, Kansas, and Wyoming. Excellent. Thanks for that recap. So one thing that's important, Stefan, is really understanding why is trade between the three nations uh, important? Right there, that's uh, that's critical as a baseline to understand as we go through this conversation. So maybe you could start there a little bit. That'd be great. Sure. Thank you. Thank you, Doug. Uh, yes, uh, I think it's you know uh, important to realize our our people, our countries have always traded. We've traded for centuries different commodities, agriculture. Uh, furs, uh, uh, lumber, uh, many commodities have been traded between us for even before Canada was the, the Canada that we know. Um, but uh, what has happened with NAFTA in particular is we have changed the way 
that we uh, trade and we trade change the way that we make things together. Before we used to trade back and forth and the things were made in the US and shipped to Canada. But increasingly under NAFTA, we've, we've changed the way we make things together so that the supply chains have become largely integrated. And uh, that's, that's different. Uh, companies that are Canadian are established in the US and they can um, they have intra company trade and that's true for american companies established in canada as well so there's intra company trade but also increasingly canadian companies will have suppliers from the us uh, and mexico and uh, the same is true for uh, us companies procuring parts from canada or mexico uh, car companies uh, for example and um, essentially we make great things together now and we provide them to each other and um, in in our market to our consumers but also we we provide them to the rest of the world and we outcompete other regions by making really great things uh, goods and services and uh, selling them to the rest of the world and that has created a lot of prosperity you know, Canada-U.S. trade in 2019 was roughly $2 billion a day. Uh, that's, uh, you know, Canada is the number one export market to the U.S. We buy more from the U.S. Uh, as a country, Canada. We buy more U.S. goods and services than China, Japan, than the U.K. combined. Mm -hmm. So Canada is really an important export market for, for Colorado and for the U.S., uh, but we buy, and then, you know, the U.S. buys enormous lots from Canada as well. It's a fairly balanced uh, trade partnership, and uh, it works for everybody. It creates jobs and it creates uh, prosperity for our communities. Yeah, nice. Well, balanced and fair are key words because when things change, right, whether it's an acronym or whether there's some differences, people are always looking for stability um, and certainty. Right. That's an important thing when when anything changes. Um, talk about a little bit um, some of the stability and things that may not change or things that will give our listeners confidence that uh, that strong partnership that's been developed will maintain. Well, yes. Um, first of all, the USMCA is a continuation of NAFTA. So it builds on NAFTA, and it's really important to uh, realize that the gains of that we had achieved under NAFTA, for example, the tariff-free movement of most goods and you know and services, uh, that will continue under the USMCA. So, uh, in that sense, uh, we build on the achievement that we had we did not walk them back we are maintaining them and um, it's really important to uh, also uh, realize that with the coming into force of the usmca on july 1st we will uh, going to your point about uh, stability we will have uh, a new agreement in full legal force between the three countries and that will uh, maintain and reintroduce the stability, the predictability that our businesses uh, require. Uh, you know, in the process of renegotiating NAFTA to modernize it, there were some uh, uncertainties about whether we actually would come up with a new agreement. And uh, there were protectionist measures that were introduced uh, uh, and retaliation measures that were uh, put in place. And uh, investors and business people could legitimately say, you know, are they going to make it to the finish line? Well, the good news is we did. 
um, on, on July 1st, a new agreement comes into force. And the first benefit for, for, from a Canadian perspective of the USMCA is that now we will have certainty uh, and that we'll be able to let our businesses, investors do what they do best, which is to create jobs, prosperity, to trade and to invest uh, where it makes sense. And uh, we will all benefit from that. So the auto industry is a great example, but I think it's also important to um, understand what would impact our, our listeners here in Colorado. And I know agriculture, uh, beef production, and, uh, and energy uh, are, are critical for the relationship between Canada and Colorado specifically. Maybe talk a little bit about those three and how uh, USMCA will, will, uh, will help. Yes, uh, glad to. Um, well, first of all, Canada, Colorado trade is is very large and it's it's growing fast. Uh, last year in 2019, it was uh, two-way trade was valued at 5.1 billion dollars uh, in uh, two-way trade uh, in goods alone, and uh, that's that's uh, growing year over year. Uh, which speaks again to the benefits of free trade between us. And it's true that um, agriculture uh, uh, is a big part of that. Energy trade is an enormous part of that. And um, also uh, cattle and uh, meat products are important. There are other sectors, but these three are very prominent. So in terms of what's new under the USMCA, I think the first one... I would mention is under agriculture, there are some rules uh, pertaining to grain uh, grain trading. Uh, there was an irritant under NAFTA where uh, some of the, the grain produced in the U.S. Uh, would be uh, uh, not evaluated quite the same way as Canadian grain for the purposes of, uh, uh, of the, the, the price that would be paid to mm -hmm. the, uh, the, the grain producers in the U.S., so that irritant, we call it grain grading. That issue was removed under the USMCA to the great um, satisfaction of, uh, of everybody. Um, but also, uh, in particular, on the dairy market, I have to say that uh, there, Canada did make concessions to uh, increase access for U.S. dairy producers to the Canadian market. We operate under a different uh, regime in Canada. We, we have a system we call... Uh, uh, you know, we, we have a system where uh, we match supply and demand uh, to between uh, the, the suppliers and the producers so that we guarantee uh, reasonable prices for, for uh, our producers of dairy, but also uh, poultry and cheese and, and so on. Um, and in the, in, the, in the USMCA, there are, uh, there's an increase in the percentage of market access that was granted to uh, U.S. Uh, producers of dairy products. Um, also, we have el eliminated some irritants. There was a couple of what we call classes of, uh, of dairy products, uh, milk-based classes that were uh, problematic for U.S. Uh, dairy producers, and those are in the process of being eliminated. So in other words, slightly increased uh, market access uh, granted to U.S. producers. Uh, and also some irritants that were removed. In terms of cattle and meat products, uh, nothing really has changed under the USMCA. Uh, those were already tariff-free under NAFTA. And uh, you know, as we said, the, the gains of NAFTA were continued under the USMCA. Uh, and in terms of energy, 
there are um, energy trade was already tariff free, so that hasn't changed. But there were some um, rules, more regulatory rules, that became hindrances to uh, the ability of our companies to invest in each other's energy sectors, and those were uh, streamlined so that it should be easier now for uh, U.S. U.S. Uh, energy companies to invest in Canada and vice versa. That's great. Well, we're here with Stefan Lassard. He's a general uh, counsel, consul general. Make sure I uh, pronounce that correctly of, of uh, Colorado and the Rocky Mountain region. We appreciate all of his insight. So it's now July 2nd, right? It's not literally July 2nd, but let's say it's the day after uh, the USMCA. And um, I don't want to say hunky-dory because that's not a technical term, but, um, you know, maybe the perception is everything is, is good to go and people go about their business. So um, is that really a true statement or what, what are your thoughts? Uh, what happens now after the implementation? Well, after the implementation, the work of the negotiators, the legislators um, is done. Uh, people will have worked on a, a good new text. Is it perfect? No. But uh, nothing is perfect. It's a negotiated text. It works for all three countries. And I think our negotiators and uh, all the people working hard to produce the regulations and, uh, and the rules uh, will have uh, done uh, their work. But n now it's up to our businesses, our investors to do what they do best, uh, certainly to continue to create prosperity uh, between our countries. Uh, but it's also important for um, policymakers to to understand that the fact that we have an agreement uh, that has the force of law doesn't guarantee that all those benefits will uh, be generated uh, necessarily, that it's important to continue to leave it to our businesses and investors, to leave them the freedom to do what they do. And here I'm referring, uh, Doug, to uh, the, the, the notion of protectionism, that their politicians and policymakers can be tempted on occasion to uh, give preference to their manufacturers and their district or their state, uh, whatever, uh, because, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it may be good politics in some cases, and uh, also, it's legitimate to have pride in the workers and pride in the products that uh, uh, generate are generated from uh, our, our uh, states, our district, our provinces. Uh, there, so there are reasons why it's understandable that sometimes it feels like we should put protectionist measures in place, whether they're tariffs, whether there's regulatory measures like... Uh, by America uh, provisions, by Colorado, by by Ontario, by Canada, um, and uh, other measures like country of origin labeling for cattle and so on. These these always proceed from this a genuine sense of desire to help our local industries. The problem with this is that they uh, they invite retaliation. So if if Ontario decided to not buy anything from Colorado, I have a feeling that uh, policymakers in Colorado would have uh, views about that, and so and the same the same goes in in reverse. Um, you know, um, so besides inv involving in um, inviting retaliation, which then leads us to a, di a downward spiral of protectionism, 
uh, the, the thing that protectionist measures do inevitably, and this is time tested, is they raise the costs of doing business on the companies doing the business. Uh, they, for example, country of origin labeling forces uh, cattle uh, uh, cattle uh, businesses and ranches and uh, you know uh, those people raising and, and and the cattle and feeding the cattle and and so on and moving it across borders to keep track of uh, where the cattle was at different times and that it requires equipment it raises uh, costs on the businesses those costs will be passed on to the meat producers and the processing plants eventually to the consumer so it makes our businesses less competitive it acts as an inflationary pressure on the consumer and the businesses it makes us less competitive and so for those reasons um, my word would be a, a one of caution that there are almost always unintended negative consequences of protectionism, whatever it is, tariff measures or regulatory measures, and that uh, it's important to find solutions together, that sometimes irritants happen, we can work together and uh, make it happen, that we find a reasonable solution. Uh, but the constant recourse to uh, uh, protectionist measures in, often in the context of national security legislation, uh, that is, uh, is in fact, um, these are measures that will undermine the benefits of the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, the USMCA. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have to be careful about that because there's no point putting a free trade agreement if we don't allow free trade to operate. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And um, you've given some good perspective on what the USMCA can, can accomplish. And, and I appreciate your comments on protectionism and how that could be a, a downward spiral. Okay, so now you are a, a company here in Colorado doing business with Canada, and we're in the second half of 2020, and there's this new agreement, USMCA. Uh, what type of advice do you have for Colorado-based companies um, here as we uh, enter the new agreement? Well, I think it's a really exciting time, frankly, and, and I want to frame this in the context of the pandemic. I mean, the coming into force of USMCA is a big deal. It, it has all the benefits we've discussed and it, it, it reintroduces certainty and predictability. So we should see it as a, a platform to um, continue to do and in, even enhance and ramp up what we were doing before, that is trading and investing. Uh, but in the context of the pandemic, I have to say, uh, you know, Canada, the U.S., and every country has been deeply impacted by uh, the restrictions on business and the movement of people and so on and so forth. And uh, I think that uh, we should see also the USMCA as that springboard where we can um, benefit from the streamlined, the reduced uh, regulations, the reduced costs, and um, the certainty, and really emphasize our efforts to grow that trade and uh, enhance the investment. So how to do that practically? Uh, I think that uh, US companies, Colorado companies, um, you, you have a lot of uh, resources available. Uh, first of all, I, I would say that Canada is your natural export market. Uh, if you're not already exporting to Canada, uh, I would suggest you consider Canada as your number one uh, go to first export market. We have the same, relatively the same culture. 
um, notwithstanding my accent, you know, <laughs> yeah. there's a whole lot that uh, we have uh, built together this uh, this continent that we have, and uh, we have uh, legal systems that are extremely similar, and uh, we the infrastructure and energy and uh, the, the auto route system and everything is so integrated. Our economies are deeply integrated, so Canada is your natural first export market or your expansion market if you're already in. Uh, trading with Canada. Uh, the way to do that is, first of all, to realize that Canada is not one single export market. It's multiple markets, just like the U.S. is multiple markets for a foreign company, a Canadian one or whatever. Um, you know, there's a lot of natural trade corridors, north-south between Canada and the U.S., um, and, you know, it's easy for a Colorado company maybe to trade with Alberta because it's so similar, the culture and so on. Um, but, but other provinces are also different markets and they should be examined too, including Quebec, where uh, my mother tongue, French, is spoken. Uh, different rules apply sometimes on advertising and things like that. So we are here, uh, we are there to help. U.S. companies who can uh, know a little bit more about the Canadian market. Um, I would say that uh, the first thing to do is to do your homework, to realize that uh, there are diversities and different uh, consumer uh, needs in Canada and to really study your regional markets of interest. Uh, you can speak to the U.S. commercial service, uh, people like Paul Burke, in uh, in Colorado uh, that are able with their team to advise U.S. companies on accessing the Canadian market. Uh, what we do in our office is we more support Canadian companies accessing the U.S. market. But we're always open to a good conversation. And, um, you know, I think study the market, look to the U.S. commercial service, give us a call. Uh, we have a trade and investment team that is crackerjack. And if you give us a call, uh, we have an office on uh, Broadway in Denver. Uh, we can steer you in the right direction. And if you do your homework uh, and you you uh, you are willing to make the investment of time and possibly some money to to get settled uh, in the supply chains with Canadian partners, uh, get settled perhaps with a footprint in Canada, so you can serve the regional market. It's a market of 36 million people. Uh, very similar with some differences uh, to the U.S. market. Um, and uh, I think you will do really well in Canada. We'll be sure to have the contact information uh, at our uh, link whenever we post the uh, the show here so our folks will know how to get in touch with your group. It's much appreciated. So I wanted to end um, the uh, the discussion here today and have our, our audience learn about some changes that will be going on in, in your life. Um, related to your role here in Colorado. So maybe, you know, maybe it's breaking news we could put on the bottom of the screen, but uh, maybe you'd like to tell everybody what's going on and, and um, go from there. Sure, sure. I never thought I'd be on breaking news. <laughs> really, that's bad news for people like me. That's true. This is good news. Good breaking news. <laughs> this is good news. Well, in a way, um, it's a transition. So I have had the enormous honor and pleasure to be uh, Consul General of Canada to Colorado for the last four years. Uh, but my term as Consul General is ending uh, in mid-August. Uh, so I still have uh, good things to do with the team and uh, 
good uh, good discussions to have to move our our uh, work forward with all our Colorado friends. Uh, however, uh, there will be a successor that will come behind me uh, very soon. Uh, I don't quite know who at this time, but uh, that will be announced uh, shortly, I'm sure. And uh, for me, the transition will be back to Canada, where I will continue to work in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. We call it Global Affairs Canada. And uh, on to other good things, I am sure. I want to say that I will never forget uh, the tremendous uh, uh, privilege of uh, being Consul General to uh, Colorado uh, and the region. It's been the honor of my life working with so many businesses, so many partners, working with you, Doug, and uh, the team, Keenan, and others, uh, working with uh, companies like Cap Logistics, but so many more to do good things, to grow uh, prosperity in our communities and jobs and, uh, and uh, strengthen the links between Canada and Colorado in so many ways. It's been an enormous pleasure. And I will take uh, all of those memories uh, back with me to Canada. And the good news is the friendships last, and I will certainly be back uh, in Colorado as the first opportunity. That's great. Well, I think you nailed it on the nail that um, that friendships last, and and we can't thank you enough for being a friend with the program, Uptime Logistics, the Cap Logistics family, and whoever follows you is going to have some pretty big shoes to fill. So you've been uh, you've been tremendous, and I want to personally thank you. Um, it's been great. And I'd like to thank uh, our audience for joining us today on Uptime Logistics. Of course, that's powered by Cap Logistics. You can find more information about the show in the description below. Don't forget to like and subscribe uh, to the channel. And obviously, visit caplogistics.com for all your customized transportation solutions. Thanks again. Thanks again.